If you would, pray with me this morning. Father, we are grateful that you've given us one more opportunity to praise you. One more opportunity to be instructed by you from your word. One more opportunity to serve you in a way that pleases you. Now, Father, we have come into this place for various reasons. Some have decided, because of the difficulty in their marital relationship, that they would come to church today and give their marriage one more chance. They want it to work, and they're here. Some are here because they are not sure about Christianity, about following Christ, and they are just here just to search, to see if maybe this is the road that they need to travel. Some are here this morning, Father, because they have come to the saving knowledge of you. You have redeemed them. You've drawn them to yourself. You've called them to be your servants. And they have committed to following you for the rest of their lives. Then there are those of us that, though we know you, though you've called us to follow, we're searching ourselves for some answers to questions that we have. We may be dealing with a financial issue. We may be dealing with a relational issue. It may be a physical issue. But we're here, too, seeking to hear from you. And Father, you've promised us that if we would lift you up, that you would draw people to yourself. So draw people to yourself this morning. Speak through these lips of clay to encourage someone so that when they leave, they'll say like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. May we leave just a little different than the way we entered. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. It was 2012, 2012, and my wife and I were at a crossroads. We were kind of at a Y in our life. We were pastoring a church, and we were really excited about what the Lord was doing in our lives. And I met a very good friend of mine who was a part of Dallas Seminary, and so he approached me about the idea of leaving the church and moving to Houston to help head up the seminary there. And I was super excited about the opportunity, but at the same time that after 17 years of being with a group of people and being their shepherd and, and marrying people and counseling couples and, uh, and uh, praying for uh, children, dedicating children, and uh, being at the hospital helping people to grieve when someone had passed away, it wasn't easy to walk away from something like that. In the midst of someone approaching me to do that, then I was also approached by someone else to be the president of a college. And that was very exciting because, I mean, you know, just, I mean, who doesn't want to be the president of something? <laughs> and so here I am, 
with this before me. A very close friend saying, come to Dallas Seminary, move to Houston. We were excited about that. Then someone else says, well, come to Houston and uh, be a part of this school and lead us. And so here we are, we have this situation. And so we're approaching the Lord with our request. Lord, we have a need here. We, we need to hear from you. We, 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 we want to know what's your answer. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where what you wanted for you, you found out that it wasn't what the Lord wanted for you? We found out in a very short period of time that what we wanted wasn't what the Lord wanted for us. And so the Lord answered a very, very important question for us, and I'm excited about the answer because as a result of what he said, I stand here before you this morning excited about my relationship with Dallas Seminary. And the last four years, he's given me an opportunity to minister to thousands of people here in Houston. And so for that, I say thank you. But I wonder this morning, could you be like me? Could you be here today and that you are talking to the Lord about something that you feel that you need? What I like to refer to it, you have a felt need. But you're not sure that maybe the Lord has something more real that he wants to do in your life. Well, if that's so, I want to kind of help you this morning by introducing you to a a lady that was in the very same situation. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of St. John chapter 4. There's a woman that was in kind of the same quandary. A felt need versus a, a real need. And just so that we can have a theme to help us, I want to couch this in this theme. A wonder at the well. A wonder at the well. But before we delve into chapter 4 of John, one of the things that I share with the students at the seminary is that if you're going to understand a passage, you must be careful not to lift the passage out of its context You must interpret the passage. You must seek to understand the passage in the midst of its greater context. So I want you to write down a verse of Scripture and look it up when you get to the house. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 are extremely instructive for us this morning. Because in those two verses, John tells us the whole motivation or his purpose for writing his gospel. Here's what he says. He says, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, book meaning the Gospel of John. He says, but these were written that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So John says, Jesus did many, many things that I chose not to even put in my gospel. He said, but I chose some specific things some specific incidents that if you look at these, they will point to the fact that he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the anointed one. He's the one that Moses and Jacob and Abraham, he's the one that everyone has been waiting for. And when you know this, you'll receive life through his name. So in that context, look at John chapter 4. 
We're in a situation here where prior to John chapter 4, obviously, was John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, we have this situation with this very, very super spiritual religious man called Nicodemus. Many of you know the story that Jesus just is a little bit different than the way he treats Nicodemus by being a religious leader, one who had knowledge, than the way he treats this woman in chapter 4. So follow along with me in your Bibles in John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, I want to let you know right away that it's not really necessary that Jesus went through Samaria. As a matter of fact, many of you may not know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. They wanted nothing to do with each other. The Jews actually looked down their noses at the Samaritans as half-breeds, as those that were far less than them. They, they had no relationship. So many times they would purposely take an eastern route around Samaria to get to their destination in Galilee. But many of us, we know Jesus. Jesus is just a little bit different. He's cut from a different cloth than your average leader. And so he has a point, he has a purpose in why he's going through Samaria because in his omniscience, Jesus knows that he's going to meet someone there that has a need. So make a note that John wants to present Jesus as one who has two natures. He has a human nature and also he has a divine nature. And the way we find this out is way back in chapter 1 of John when John says this. He says, in the beginning was the word. He doesn't give a name yet. And the word was with God, and the word was God. But then in verse 14 of the same chapter, he says, And the word became flesh. The word became incarnate and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses, and grace and truth, life came through Jesus. So John introduces us and says that Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning, and yet Jesus had a beginning. He became flesh. Implication, there was a point where he was not flesh. Because remember, the Father has never taken on flesh. The Spirit has never taken on flesh. And so there was a time in eternity past when all three members were pure spirit. But he says Jesus became flesh. And lived among us. And he had a purpose for living among us. So watch what happens. He says he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to this place, this well. He was there because he was tired. And he sat by the well. And verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria. Now already his readers, their, their ears are kind of perked up because it says a woman of Samaria. And for any good Jew, especially a Jewish rabbi, they had no associations with a Samaritan. And second of all, she was a woman. But watch what Jesus does. He's the master at bringing people's or actually showing them their real need. 
Look what he says. He says, give me water, he asked her. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We're going to get back at these guys for a minute. In a minute, rather. Verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him. Now, Jesus says, I have a request. I have a need. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. And rather than to heed his request, rather than to meet his need, she asked him a question because the question itself by him shocks her. Watch what she says. She says, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, Jesus, I'm surprised. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me a woman and a Samaritan? I want you to make a note somewhere. The woman tries to let Jesus know that there is a divide between you and I, and I'm shocked by it. It's divide, the first divide is a gender divide. He says, I am a woman, and I'm shocked that you're even speaking with me. But also there is a racial divide. I am a Samaritan, and I'm shocked that you're even talking to me. But then there's a third. It's not stated directly, but it's implied. There is a religious divide between me and you. And I'm shocked by these three things, that I'm a woman and that I'm I'm racially a Jew and that our religion is not the same. I'm shocked that you would even ask me this question. But watch Jesus' response. He says, if you knew three things, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, if you knew what I'm able to give you, I'm able to give you something called living water. So I want you to make a note. There's three things we're going to see before I take my seat today. One is God is using the life of this woman through the writer John to show us That the Lord wants to surface in all of us in this room, not just our felt need, but our real need. Because there is a need that all of us have that we may not be aware of even this morning. He has all of us in this place. He specifically designed this moment. He's not shocked by it. He's not surprised by it. All of us are here for a purpose. The issue is, are you going to walk away seeing what your real need is? Or are you going to walk away still with just your felt need? So the first word I want you to write down is that the Lord wants to show all of us what our real need is. But we'll never see our real need apart from seeing him. So if you're here this morning and you're searching this whole thing called Christianity, I want to let you know that God purposely has you here to try to answer some very important lessons for you, some some very important questions that you have. And that is, is Jesus real? Is Jesus able to meet my needs? And the answer is absolutely he can. Absolutely he is able. And he is willing as well. But I want you to notice something that Jesus does. He says, lady, I've got something. I know you came here just as I did. You came for water. But I've got something even better than physical water. I've got something called living water. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, this phrase living water was used several times. And every time it was used by a writer in the Old Testament, it referred to 
eternal life. I've got some water, lady. And this water is better than physical water because with physical water, you'll get thirsty again. As a matter of fact, he even says it here. Watch what he says again. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me something to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman still doesn't really get it. So the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? I want to use this well as maybe a a metaphor this morning for maybe a situation that's in our lives. And we are saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't know if you fully understand the depth of my problem. My well is deep. And I'm not certain if you've got what it takes to reach my need. And the Lord says, not only do I have what it takes to reach your need. Before the day's over, I'm going to meet your need if you'll let me. And watch what happens. Oh, I love the Bible. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, and he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later, Jesus is going to use almost the same phrase to refer to The Spirit of God being a spring of water. Because what I didn't know it, what I didn't know until not too long ago, and write this down, look it up when you get to the house. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 makes this statement. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you cannot belong to Christ, which means that the agent that saves us is the Spirit of God. See, God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus dies, but God the Father doesn't save us. Jesus doesn't save us. The Spirit of God saves us. He's the agent that makes salvation possible. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Romans, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, he says, For by one spirit have we all been baptized into one body, whether we're Jews, Gentiles, bond or free, we have all been made to drink of one spirit. And when we use the word baptize, it's the word baptizo, which means to dip, to submerge, to identify. And so think of it this way. There was a point in our lives where we were in the family of the devil. I know that doesn't make us feel good, but it's true. We were in the family of of the devil, and the Lord took us out of the family of the devil and dipped us into the family of God. He baptized us into his family, and the agent that was used was the Spirit of God. Jesus says, in us. In us, he wants the Spirit of God to dwell, and he will become a spring of living water. So the woman says, sir, oh, she's getting close. Well, that's the case. Give me this. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I want this water so I won't ever draw again. Even though she's asking the question, she still hasn't got it. So Jesus is kind of getting a little frustrated with her. So Jesus just kind of cuts to the chase. Watch what he does in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. I'm, 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 I'm just sick of you. Go call your husband. 
I've been trying to explain this to you. You still haven't got it. You still think I'm talking about water. Go call your husband and watch what happens. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus says, right. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. As a matter of fact, (laughs) you've had five, and the man who you're with right now, he ain't your man. He ain't your husband. Now, Now, you're living with him, but you're not married to him. And so, right. Yeah, you haven't had any husbands. As a matter of fact, that You've been looking for something with all these men, and your thirst still has not been satisfied. And I'm showing up today to finally quench your thirst forever. How do you know that? Watch what he says. I have no husband, she says. Right. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, (laughs) I perceive you must be a prophet. There's no way that you can know all this. I mean, I didn't tell you any of this stuff. You must be a prophet. And I remember there's another prophet called Moses, and the Bible said there was going to come a prophet like unto Moses. You must be that prophet that we've been waiting for. Watch what Jesus says. Oh, Jesus is so good. He says, this is after she poses one more question. You must be a prophet. So I tell you what, why don't you answer a theological question for me? Isn't that kind of smooth? You know, you're getting kind of close in my life. You're talking about the husband. You're talking about the man I'm with. So let's not talk about me for a minute. Will you just answer a theological question? Get off of me and let's just talk about religion. Watch what she says. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say, you Jews that is, that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you worship the Father You worship what you do not know. We, that is Jews, worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship me. Please underscore somewhere in your notes. There's a difference between true worshipers and false worshipers. Did you know that that's possible? So you can worship with the head. That's false worship. True biblical worship is worship with the heart. Jesus wants to speak to our hearts. I don't know about you. Have you ever been guilty of coming to church and just coming and just worshiping with your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, I had to come to the realization there's a big difference between intellectual knowledge and heart knowledge. You see, it's possible there there are a lot of people that intellectually know who Jesus is, but they've never come to know who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is in terms of knowledge, but that knowledge has been transferred, transferred, transformed from, her, from their head to their heart. And as a result of that, they still live lives that are not pleasing to the Lord. So he says, the true worshipers are going to worship me how? In spirit and in truth. I love that phrase. Remember we said earlier that the agent who saves us is who? The Holy Spirit. And then a few chapters later, Jesus is going to say in John chapter 14, I am the way, the, and the, no one comes to the Father except through me. So 
He's saying there's coming a time when the place of worship, either in the mountains or in Jerusalem, the place of worship is not even important. It's who you worship. I'm looking for true worshipers to worship me in spirit and in truth. And then he says, the time is now. But watch this, guys. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah, when he comes, who's called the Christ, when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus finally said, guess what? I'm the dude. I'm the dude you've been waiting on. I'm here. What you want me to do? I'm here. Now, I think it's very surprising that when she's this close, Messiah's going to come. He's going to tell us everything. Then he says, I am the dude. And right after he says, I am the dude, then the text says in verse 27, just then the disciples came back from the Kentucky Fried Chicken in the town. <laughs> the disciples were so focused on getting, uh, you know, a two-piece and a, and, and a biscuit and fries. <laughs> the disciples were so focused on... Now, think about this. Here, these are his guys. These are his dudes, and, and they've been with him three and a half years, and here at this town, these Samaritans, are these people that need him, and they're so focused on the two-piece and the biscuit that they didn't talk to anybody. And when they get back, watch what happens. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. You know what I kind of think? I kind of think the Lord sent them in town on purpose. Because had they stayed around, I think Jesus would have never been able to maintain this conversation with the woman because they had this thing. They still had this religiosity. They still had this mindset that Jesus is trying to break through and say, look, gender will never stop me from meeting needs. Race will never stop me from meeting needs. Religion will never stop me from meeting needs. And if you guys don't change your thinking, you'll get locked into this mindset. Will you allow these things to hold people back? When I look out among you this morning, my heart is just, my heart is just overjoyed because I see in my midst, I see gender, I see race. I see, I'm sure, people that have come from different religious backgrounds, different religious persuasions. And guess what? We are all here together this morning. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Doesn't that say something about God? The answer is yes. Because I say to people all the time, look, when we get to heaven, when you get there, don't ask people where the black folks at. <laughs> See, because down here back in the day it was on the other side. Where, where they at? On the other side of the tracks. When we get to heaven, guess what? Don't go to the other side of the tracks looking for me. I'm going to be in Jesus' neighborhood. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he already told me I got a mansion there. It won't be no dirt shack. I got a mansion. And guess what? It got my name on it. So it seems to me, since that's the way it's going to be up there, shouldn't we start practicing down here the way it's going to be when we get there? Amen, somebody. Give the Lord a hand praise. So remember I gave you the word show and seek. If you are still seeking the Lord, he wants to show himself to you just as he wanted to show himself to this woman. If you are a believer already, a Christ follower, 
He wants you to begin, since you've already seen him, he wants you to seek him, to, to, to know him in a more intimate, in a more detailed, in a more personal way. And the more you do, the more he will reveal himself to you. And then there's another word I want you to write down. It's the word surrender. Look what happens to this woman. We know that she finally surrendered. She finally got it because it says here in verse 25, she went back to the town. She left her water she was no longer focused on what she thought she needed because Jesus had met her where, 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 where she was. She went back to the town, excited, fired up, and she says, come and see. A man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be? Is it possible that he is the Christ we've been looking for all our lives? Come and see. The Bible says, and they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, we're back to the boys again. The disciples were urging him, saying, uh, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. So the disciples said to one another, can you get the picture? They're looking at one another and said, uh, has anyone brought him something to eat? Now, we were all together to Kentucky. And so did y'all sneak around somewhere else? Did y'all go to the Popeye's and bring him something that we don't know anything about? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, my food, fellas, is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work, and here's what he says. I love this part. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Here's what many scholars believe that Jesus is saying. Oftentimes, they wore these tunics, these robes, and oftentimes that they were white in color. So many scholars say that what Jesus does, he points to them. He tells them to look at the hill, and coming over the hill is this procession of people, hundreds of people, and the person who's leading the people is this woman who's had this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, look, don't say that we still have four months. We only have just a few minutes before they come. They're coming. The harvest is not later. The harvest time is now. And look what he says. He says, already... The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another one reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And I love what he says. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him, watch this guys, because of the woman's testimony. I've given you three words thus far. God will show you if you are looking, if you're searching for answers to the real needs in your life. He'll show you, and if you've already found some answers, he wants you to seek for more answers. But then he wants you, once you do that, to surrender your will, surrender your dreams, surrender your aspirations to him. But once you've surrendered... There's something that's a natural byproduct of surrendering. That is, you've got to be willing to share what he's done for you with others. Can I illustrate it this way? My wife and I have a special uh, relationship. Some of you don't know this, but I want you to know. 
My wife was married, and her husband died of multiple sclerosis many years ago. And when we met, I had just gone through where my wife died of lung cancer. And so we were both in a situation where we both had a need. We both had a desire to marry, but God did something special with us. Uh, When we met, have you ever heard of love at first sight? I I mean, it was like that. I I mean, I just fell head over heels for her so quickly. I can remember, here I am, a 44-year-old man uh, on the phone six hours and sometimes seven hours just talking to her. I mean, I would just talk to her so much that she would go to sleep on me on the phone. And, (laughs) And so I would say, Loretta, wake up. I say, wake up. And she would say, honey, I'm so tired. And I say, I tell you what, look, all you got to do, just don't hang up. Just breathe. I just want to hear you breathe. Just breathe. And I'd go in the closet because I didn't want to disturb my children. I'd go in the closet. And the thinker, here's this 40-something-year-old man hiding in the closet saying to this woman on the other end, just breathe. Just breathe. And then I would say to her sometimes, I say, honey, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're so beautiful to me. Look, if you can't breathe, look, just walk. Just, just walk. Because uh, you got the, see, I'm not a thigh man. I'm a leg man. And so I would say, just walk so I can see those legs of yours. Just walk. Just turn around. Just walk back. And when I think of my sweetheart, I, I think of how it was when I was a little bitty boy. Uh, you know, we had modest means in Kansas City, and one of the staples at the Bowdoin, at the Bowdoin dinner table was Kool-Aid. Anyone remember Kool-Aid? Oh, yeah. And I would always say, Mom, can I make the Kool-Aid? Because I wanted to make sure it was sweet. <laughs> and so when I, think of my, uh, when I think of Loretta, I say, she is the sugar in my Kool-Aid. Just, just. <laughs> so when I fell in love with her, I got on the phone, called my mother. Got on the phone, called cousins. Got on the phone and called dad. Got on the phone and called friends. Got on the phone and called workers. Got on the phone and called folks in the neighborhood. I mean, I'm just, whoever would listen to me, let me tell you, let me share with you about the relationship I have with this woman. And so it makes sense to me that when you have surrendered with the Lord, when you have experienced an intimate relationship with him, guess what? It is natural for you to tell others about this relationship. So the woman was so excited she said, come and see. you got to experience him for yourself. And the text says, they first came and believed because of her word. But watch what it says finally. Verse 41 says, and many more believed because of his word. They said, Jesus, stay with us for a few days. And all it took just a few days for them to recognize it's not just because of what she said. I have experienced him for myself. If you've ever had an experience with Jesus, let me tell you something. You cannot leave in neutral. You will either be drawn closer to him or you will be drawn further from him. You cannot have an encounter and remain the same. 
My prayer for you today is this, very simple, that he would show you that what you may be thinking that you really need, there's something far deeper, something far greater. And no matter how deep, how difficult you think the problem is, the well in your life, he is able. He's able. He's able to reach down as far as it takes in your life. And he wants to offer you something far better. He wants to offer you something for the first time in your life, your thirst will finally be quenched. Once it happens, surrender. Once you surrender, tell everybody that you are around about this new love relationship with him. Pray with me right now. Father, as my brothers and sisters sit in this room today, help us to recognize That because Jesus is God, on our own, no matter how hard we searched, none of us are smart enough to ever figure him out on our own. If he is to be known, he must make himself known to us. And thank you that Jesus chose to make himself known to this woman who truly had a need who had been ostracized because of her gender, ostracized because of her race, ostracized because of her religion, and even ostracized because of the relationships that she had with many men in the town. She quietly came, unassuming, expecting no one to meet her at the, at the well. And you were there. Lord, we might have come today expecting just to be by ourselves. But Lord, thank you that you came to our well. And you're saying to us, I've got something I want to give you if you want it. It's living water. And if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. Bless us, Lord. Bless us so that when we leave this place, if we have truly experienced a love relationship with you, that we leave and on our lips is a testimony that we share with others about how sweet you've been in our lives. And if we do that, one day others will say, not just what I heard from you, but I've experienced him on my own. It's in Jesus' name we pray.